Hello, everyone. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office. Well, joining me today are Don and Christy Forsyth, who have been at Messiah uh, even a little bit longer than me, which is, is quite an accomplishment. And uh, <laughs> so we've been working together and known each other for quite a long time. And so I'm excited to talk to them about their time at Messiah and uh, their various artistic endeavors and the changes they've seen here in the art program over the years. And uh, just to sort of uh, have, a, have a good conversation today. So Don and Christy, welcome. Thank uh, you. Pleasure yeah. to have you here. And uh, so um, what was the state of the art program when you came? I mean, how, how old was the major? When did we, I'm not, I'm not sure of this history exactly. I, Didn't it start around the time that you came? Yeah, well, Ted had come and mm -hmm. he had been here for two years prior to us. Okay. And I believe the art major actually started the second year of his uh, being here. Um, and so when we came, there was what, maybe 20 students? No. Maybe two rooms in there, a new building, which is the Kleinenhaga building. Three, right. There were three right. rooms. Right. The three studios. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first time I was on campus was in August of 1980. Wow. And so Hague didn't exist at that time. Right, there was a hole. Yes. And I came back then in fall of 81. Ron Long met us in the parking lot uh -huh. and immediately took us into the brand new building, which had just opened that fall. Right. And, uh, and I just remember, because uh -huh. it was October, and so, you know, you know what October is like here with the trees and the leaves. Yeah, and it beautiful. was just, and I come from Texas where everything was, had, you know, starting to turn brown and oh, it's either hot or cold. Or, right. Anyway, so anyway, I would just come, it's, it's just so lush here compared to that. And um, I just remember it was so beautiful, just the natural beauty. And then here was this new building, um, which, which had just opened that fall. And so you came the next year after that, right? Because that's when you, when you came. 1982. Yeah. Fall of 82. Don had had a show here the previous year, and mm -hmm. we came down for that. Mm -hmm. And we were. Yeah, that was part of my interview. I had an art exhibit. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I gave a lecture on uh, Minoan and Mycenaean art to 400 freshmen. Oh, wow. As part of my interview. So was that part of one of the integrated studies courses it at that was, time? Yes, yes. It was, yes. a gen ed course. Yeah. And so uh, that that was not particularly my area, nor had I, at that time I had it never been to Greece. Mm -hmm. So I gave this lecture, and uh, I guess it went well because I got a job later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you teach when you came here? Did you teach in the, in the integrated studies? Yes, I did. Which, which uh, one did you teach? I taught three ancient civilizations. civilizations. Yes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So the Greeks, the Romans, and the Hebrews. Yes. And uh, it had a Bible component. So I was teaching way out of my comfort zone. Yes. Yeah. And uh, many, there were 12 people on the faculty of this one class. Right. So it's a really giant thing. And then you had a discussion group mm -hmm. uh, later in the week after the lecture. Mm -hmm. So I, then I had to lead discussion on everyone else's lecture. Right. <clears throat> so that was that was a really good way to just jump into the current and yes. you know yeah, yeah. see if you could do it. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I still have people who say I remember your Greek oh, art yeah. lecture yeah. because you you dragged out a huge piece of marble and you picked <laughs> someone from the class. Yeah. To come up there and start chipping away. I always mm -hmm. tried to pick like the beefiest athlete 
because <laughs> they were unable to even make you know only tiny chips you mm -hmm. have to know what you're doing yes so when I did it big hunks fell off and that uh -huh. was impressive to them yeah and that's because you knew where to direct the... the yeah, you have to, to look at the grain of find, the stone and right, know the, how to make it break. Yeah, I would have no clue. <laughs> yeah, neither <laughs> did anyone I picked, yeah, so yeah, it was very right. successful. Yeah. But Christy, you didn't ever teach in those, if, or did I you? I did. I you did. did? Okay. Um, so when I first came um, in the 82, I actually start, started teaching part-time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like four years late, three or four years later, I can't remember Wasn't exactly. Long. Yeah, yeah. Um, I by then I was teaching like more than half time, and so then I had to, uh, in order to become full time, had to teach on the Cree team, which was Christianum, Reformation, and yes. Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And so it was the same kind of thing as Dawn. You you're just going, oh my gosh, I know this, mm -hmm. but the course, which is a very small amount of it, mm -hmm. but the course is really broad. But mm -hmm. I thought the lectures were really interesting because mm -hmm. I, I was just learning as much as everybody else and reading things I never would have read. Uh, so it was really interesting, but the students hated it. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it came down to. The student, and it did become really cumbersome the bigger we got because then yeah. we had, instead of one section of each, we had two sections right. of all of these courses. And it just got to be a huge animal. Was that the section that Ron Miller, was that the team? Yeah, that Ron he was, was on, on my team. Yes, yeah. yeah. He was the only music faculty member that was on any of those teams, yeah. and so I never got to got, got to do that. I know Randy Basinger, our provost, still speaks um, yeah. glowingly of... Uh, well, he made us sing. That was, that was really great. <laughs> yeah, Ron did, you mean, yes. yes. Yeah. But Randy enjoyed teaching on these teams and thought it was... Um, uh -huh. Anyway, I, well, yeah. he, just, he just thought it was a good deal. Um, I What I remember, when I first came here, the uh -huh. courses didn't seem so... Uh, so bad, you know, yeah. and then the students, I think, enjoyed them. But as it went on, yeah. I remember walking by Miller Auditorium, which is where they all met, of course. Yeah. And um, and and you would see maybe a third of the students were actually there because they knew there's no reason to go if my friend will go take notes for me because right. that's all I need are the notes. Right. And uh, and the, the third that was there looked bored out of their minds and wished like they wished they were any place other than where yeah. they actually were. And so it, it was unfortunate because I think there was a lot of good things in those classes, right. but that, that became the reality for those and why we switched to right. what some of us still call the new gen ed, even though we've had it for 30 years or so now, or, or 25. So there was a couple of things about yeah. that. If you sit in the lower part of Miller near mm -hmm. the speaker, it was really cold. And if you sat at the top, it's really Very warm hot. and those students would fall asleep. <laughs> um, but the other thing um, that was very noticeable about the course when they changed it is uh -huh. the average grade at Messiah went up precipitously yes, yes. because our tests happened to be really, they weren't hard if you were there, but they were hard if you weren't there. Right, right. So, they, were, they were hard. Yeah. C was <clears throat> C or C minus was sort of the, the average. average. It really was the average. And that be, may have been part of the reason the students didn't like them. Yeah, yeah. that was part of it, yeah. So, so, so grade inflation was... In large part due to the new gen ed. I it started out that way and it's gotten <laughs> That's been worse. my impression as well, that yeah. it began yeah. began with that for sure yeah. for, for us here. So you were both teaching in that, but you were also teaching in, in the department. Oh, sure. And of course, in those days, you were just in, in Kleimenhagen. And if I remember correctly... Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the, in, the, in the art wing, there are three rooms. One's an all-purpose room, one painting, and one printmaking. 
Right. And that's all we had. We had basically a closet for photography in those days. It's it's a faculty office now, but I mean it, it's, it was in science. It was, actually. It was oh, actually, at that time, so you weren't using the room down here. Buildings, and okay. Locations How about over that? The years. Yeah. Wow. So I only knew about the the office. Yeah, the downstairs. first two locations were in the Klein Hall of Science. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, then it went to the library for quite some time in the wow. media center, and then finally it came here, and it's been in two locations. Right. And, Right. In Kleimanega. Right, right. Uh, so, so the well, the first one was a, was a very small space. Were the other spaces very small like that? Too? Yeah, the first one uh, <clears throat> had one or two enlargers. Mm-hmm. They belonged to science, and they mm-hmm. there was one experiment they gave during some big course that everybody took that involved taking a picture of a slide. Mm-hmm. And so they had an enlarger that you could make it your picture, mm-hmm. you could print your picture. Right, right. So that was all it was. That was what you started with. And so with. I yeah. had like 15 person classes, two enlargers. That's that's mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> but when you're starting, you know, you, you have you, to start you, somewhere. You start with what you have, that's right, that's right. And um, I think at that time too, some of our courses was sculpture taught in the in the scene shop. Am I yes. remembering right for theater? Yeah, not and immediately. Not immediately. It was, uh-huh. So what is now the second drawing room? One fifteen. One. Thirteen. The middle one. Yeah, one no, thirteen. The middle room, yeah. Not no. the middle. No. The middle room was a ceramics studio. Oh, you're talking about the. Oh, the middle room was supposed to be ceramics. Okay. Yeah, and then the. Um, then the. And the, did you teach ceramics there then? I did. Wow. Okay. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the third room, which became the printmaking studio at was that time, was all-purpose room at that point, and so uh, everything got taught in there, including and, sculpture. Including sculpture for a very brief amount of time, okay. and then Ted just said, "I can't do this." Yeah. And so then they went down to the scene shop uh-huh. and had to share that with the right. theater people. Right, which of course it's, was it's also difficult. The scene shop is an, is 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 nowhere near adequate. Right. For the theater department, right. much less having classes right. added in there. And then that's when Ted, there was a building built down by the post the office. Leonard uh-huh. Building. Yeah. And he, that's... Oh, he moved down there, didn't he? He did. I forgot about that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he was pretty happy as a clam down there because it was yeah. away from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when people come today and see our spaces, yesterday was a preview day. Yes. And so I think there were 24 families or something looking that's at so the art exciting. program. Oh. They yeah, would Brent have had no idea what it yes. what Where we've looked come like in the yes. day. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So print to teach printmaking and textiles in the same room, which I had to share with my dear wife, who is teaching textiles. One is super clean and one is super horrifically messy. Yes. So that was difficult. But mm-hmm. we, we survived. We survived. <laughs> yes. And good things still turned out. Did you teach ceramics in the in the scene shop as well? Am no, I remembering never. right? No. It was always in that middle. It was always up over there. And okay. so the closet, what is now a closet, was where there was two kilns: an electric kiln sure. and then the downdraft mm-hmm. gas kiln or updraft cap yeah, um, yeah. kiln. And it was so dangerous because yeah. my office was that middle office, and the wall between the kiln and my my office was. Hot. Yes, you could. <laughs> yeah. You knew when people were firing their their work. Yeah. No, it was so dangerous. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the maintenance people would just come over and just roll their eyes. At yes. Me. Yeah. It was just yeah. not safe. 
And so it was, um, when did Fry open then? That was. I, I was trying to remember was it that. 91, 92, somewhere yeah. along in there. It, it, yeah. it was at the beginning of the 90s because yeah. we really quickly outgrew this space. It yes. might have been even 90 because yeah. uh, we all yeah. gave a piece of art for mm-hmm. the Fry building mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And mine is still over there. Um, and it was, I think I made it in 1989. And so that had. A sculpture studio and a ceramic studio. Right. A good size, both. And a graphics, graphic design studio, yes. right? But that was there right from the beginning? Yes. No, graphic, had, de- graphic design actually was in, in this space where we're sitting. But it moved to... It was a coat room. Yes, I remember. Yeah. yeah. But I it moved that. It moved over and it had this suite. It had, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it really, had a very nice it's place the once same we got to Fry. Yeah. Because we started that probably around 87, 88. Does that sound about right? Thank for you. graphic design when Kathy came? Yeah. It, it wasn't in that in there very long, but it, no. if I remember, it's like five or six computers. Yeah. And you were trying to do design in this tiny little room that uh, was, yeah. like you say, it was a ticket office and a coat room before that. On a, yeah. on a PC. Yeah, on a PC, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, and so then we find, we, of course, the, the suite that we have now, uh, you know, is this wonderful thing with two rooms and a, and a printing area in Giant the Giant screens yes. so yes. that you can look at what you're working on in yes. minute detail. Yes. It's yes. really fabulous. Yes. Quite, quite different. Yeah. yeah. Well, now today, of course, I think my count is that we have 11 studio spaces. Now yeah, that, I think that's right. Yeah. And uh, so to have come from a wing of three studios... Mm-hmm. To, to that is, is just shows how the, the program has really matured and grown over, over the years. 12, 12 spaces, sorry. What's that? I just counted. There's oh, 12? 12 spaces. Okay, which one are you counting? Sorry. Oh, I mean, the art and room. Uh, yeah, I didn't count that. I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't yeah. counting that as a studio space. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, if you count that, it would be 12. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, you were, when you first, when our program first started, you were part of this composite department that was mm-hmm. language, literature, and fine arts. Yep. That's right. And included theater and communications and all of the languages and English. Yep. And, um, and then sometime in the 90s, you became the visual and theatrical arts department. Right. So uh, that, was, that, was a good, that was a good move, I think, a good change. Mm-hmm. And Ted chaired that department mm-hmm. most, of the, most of the 90s. Susanna did for a year, I believe. Yeah, but, when, yeah. Am I, am I yeah. remembering correctly? Yep. And then, of course, Christy, you chaired the department yeah. for a long time. Um, About 15-ish 15, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that that was the time during which uh, we really, I suppose, continued to expand. Right. I, I don't, I'm trying to remember, I think when I became dean, which was 2001, okay. we were around 90 majors, or it was in the 90s for the number of art majors. Mm-mm. It but was in the 60s. It, well, I know it had been in the 60s for a long time. Yeah, it was in the 60s. Yeah. Like around, I don't know, like around 68 or something, but mm-hmm. not 90. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, of course, then we grew, continued to grow, and I think our high water mark right before the Great Recession was in the 130s, but then we stayed in that 100-plus range mm-hmm. most right. of the time since then, Pretty around 110. Yeah, we did. 110 majors, I think, that's right. what sticks in my head for now, more mm-hmm. or less, more I, or less. Yep. 
and um, and we've been having good classes come in for the last few years. So, so you were able to chair during during that time of growth. And of course, as I remember, one of the big things that happened was uh, Sister Core coming, and because uh, we were joining NASAD, which has become a big part of your life. Yes. Uh, but we were joining NASAD at that time, and, and I don't know how it happened exactly, but I know as a result of her visit, we reworked the curriculum. Exactly. She she's. You know, we had concentrations in every single process. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at that point, you just didn't have enough students to offer the upper-level courses specifically. And it, it was very unwieldy. And so she said, well, with the number of faculty you have and the spaces you have, you need to um, hone these in. And so we put things together. So there was a graphics area, there was a 2D area, and a 3D area. And it just made way more sense, and you could offer what... You could offer much more extensive curriculum because instead of offering levels one, two, and three, you could offer just different courses in within that area, and it just made um, the students' ability to get through the curriculum much easier, much right, smoother. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so that's still with us today, that division into those. It, it is, yeah. Um, and it's like variations, which is great because you have to mm-hmm. keep changing. Mm-hmm. Also, during that time, we went from two majors, which was a BA in studio mm-hmm. with the concentrations and an art history. We added a BFA. We added art education. Station. We added uh, digital media, right. um, which came out of the president's office, I mm-hmm. believe. And we added an art business major. And for a very short time, we added a graduate course in, um, in art education. In art education. Yeah, a master's degree in art yeah. education. Yeah. That was um, that was an unfortunate thing that uh, that that program didn't survive and uh, died you know, I too think, soon. Yeah, I think if if um, you know we had a transition in faculty at that time, and of course if if we hadn't had that, I think it would have it would have done just fine. So it was unfortunate uh, unfortunate timing there, but um, but the other majors just you know started to take off and. You know, mm-hmm. now now even we have the BFA in yeah. graphics. Right, right. So it's you know we have a lot of diversity in what we offer, mm-hmm. which I think is one of our strengths. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, in, you have that diversity, but you also have those three concentration areas that run through every one of these degrees, except art history and, and BFA so, and yeah. graphics. <clears throat> yeah. Well, even the BFA though they they take courses in those other. They do take courses. It's not quite as defined as it is in the other. They actually right. take more courses because the BFA is sort of the professional track. Right. And they have more. Uh, more requirements right so they sample like a lot of my students i get because they're bfa people and they need to take more studios right right so with graphic design that's that's a reality as well but it's not quite as funneled into the other two right they take concentrations obviously the bulk of their coursework in in the graphics area but and related courses like photography Mm -hmm. or or screen printing and the like and then they can take a couple of other courses in Mm -hmm. in any of the 2d or 3d area Mm -hmm. um but but, doing it within the context you know that was one of the uh one of my first experiences this you know, when I wasn't really even quite dean yet, uh, that I got visited by a family who was complaining that they had to take, had to be, you know, be artists. Right. All we want to do is graphic design. Right. And I, I, uh, I'm not an artist, so I don't understand it from the inside. But I do know that in music, if you can really play an instrument well, you're more likely to be musical when you work with um, music production 
software. Right. And I, it makes sense to me that the same would be very, very true in, in the visual art world as well, that if you don't know how to draw, you're probably not going to look good on Photoshop or whatever, or, or in, in design or any of those kind of things. You're not, you're not so sure. You can get around it these days. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because I've heard, I've heard at conferences, I've heard discussions about that. Uh-huh. And the graphics or designers are still saying, I don't need to learn how to draw. And the are rest they? of us are going, uh, you know what? It would really be helpful. Uh, because we think, draw- we think it's essential. Drawing yeah. is thinking yeah. in art. Right. It, it teaches yes. you how to yes. see yes. and think at the same time. Isn't that interesting? But, but, you know, there's, that conversation is absolutely still out there. Still very much, yeah. You can, yeah. Draw, you can draw with a mouse or a you Wacom can, tablet or something and produce drawings Based that on are a printed, photograph, yeah. Yeah, digitally. Well, yeah. I think you could probably learn. I'm just thinking, I'm trying to play this to my own area. Yeah. And, you know, just the subtleties of color and of shaping a phrase and of creating a line and all the things... Mm-hmm. That, that you can do intuitively at the piano that you cannot do intuitively with a computer. Right. But you can do them. Right. And if you don't know how to do them intuitively, if you haven't had that experience, it's hard for me to imagine that you would really put up with the um, what you have to go through to get the same result. Uh, now, of course, the computers are becoming much more responsive. And so, and that's probably true on the drawing side, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have an iPad with a pencil, and I'm not a, I right. don't know how to draw. But I would imagine that drawing with a pencil <laughs> and an iPad is much more intuitive and more like the real thing than anything else you've had. I don't think it's like the real thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that. There's nothing just... like taking a pencil or a charcoal or pastel right. on paper or yes. on a piece of canvas. Yeah. Just the whole touch of that is so different from the touch on a screen. They're just different things. I'm not going to say one's better than the other. They're just different. I have to admit that even even in my world, uh, you know, I I, I love Finale. I love being able to do, or or Sibelius, or any of the programs that allow us to print our music, print scores. Uh, But I miss the personality, the composer's personality that comes through through Mm -hmm. their handwriting when they write a handwritten score yeah, yeah. and uh, you know we can't get our students to not use the computer and of course that's that's a bad thing I think because you learn a different way of thinking uh, when you're when you're not at the computer right uh, you have to listen differently in order to in order to write music uh, so I don't know if there's an analogy to that in, in art but uh, but I, it's interesting that it's an ongoing discussion yeah. uh, uh, in in your world between the graphic designers and the artists as to whether or not that's there for me as dean i'm, I'm glad that we have our graphic design people take art courses <laughs> we are too yeah <laughs> i think that's a good thing well let's talk about your your own work um mm-hmm. well let me just follow up and say you know christy one of the things that uh, before we get on to that um uh, NASA, I said mentioned earlier, yeah. NASA has become a big part of your world, and yeah. of course, you've been on a member. You were first a reviewer, but then uh, mm-hmm. you became a member of the Commission on Accreditation yeah. for the for the arts arts accrediting body. Right. And um, so, how long have you been doing that now? It's been several years. Um, let me see. I'm on my second, second round term. of yes. yeah, yeah. three. So, I think this is my Maybe this meeting coming up will be the beginning of my fifth year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's an amazing experience and mm-hmm. so incredibly it challenges you on every single level. Mm-hmm. And you just learn so much from being around these people who think um who have a, an amazing way of thinking about art education and the like and 
are just um, just amazing people to begin with. And then going, I still go out and do one visit a year. This mm-hmm. year I'm going to South Dakota. Wow. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, that is really wonderful, too. You just get out there and you meet these people and you see what they're trying to do and how they succeed. And you meet with their students, which is still, for me, really the fabulous thing to do. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's really given me a different way of looking at what I do and what we do as an institution, mm-hmm. and I so appreciate that um, experience. Yeah. Well, I think when you teach in one place, um, you mm-hmm. often don't get a chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get to go to conferences, of course, and I get to hear presentations right. from people who are at other schools. So right. that's my way of learning, but yeah. it still isn't the same as actually going to the school. And really talking or observing faculty teaching, observing, talk, talking with faculty, talking with the students, really getting that. Yeah, you that talk to everybody from the president all the way down. And so you get every perspective that you mm-hmm. can possibly get. And just seeing all the processes that are in place in a different yeah. institution and the different culture that's there and trying to understand it from the right. inside. And yeah. Probably learn learn what you can from it yeah. to, to bring home. Every yeah. single place I've been to, everybody says, we don't have enough space. <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one thing. We don't have enough space and we don't have enough faculty. Right, right. That's that's. Well, we all feel that way. Yeah. And even yeah. when they have the most incredible spaces and you yes. want to say, are you kidding? <laughs> well, that's, you know, years ago, um, uh, this, was, this was probably back in the 90s. And, of course, uh-huh. you know, Messiah, as we know, we had that one... One was it a mine or something? We had that yeah. one gift yeah. that gave the, us just the, a, the gold gold a, mine. Yeah, a really a really wonderful. It was wasn't worth much when we got it, and then became very valuable. And yeah. lo and behold, we have a we have a nice endowment because of that. Yeah. But of course, it's nothing compared to some long established schools. Right. And um, and I just remember someone came back and they had heard the president of Swarthmore, whose endowment is way 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 beyond anything billions. we have. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> saying. I just need more endowment, you know. And so I think wherever you are, you can always see more good things to do. Yes. And if you just had the resources, you could do them. Exactly. And so I think, uh, you know, we're in a time of constriction, of course, for for higher ed. And I think the the real real creative challenge for all of us, well, and those that are still working here 10, 20 years from now, will be how to deliver quality within restricted means. Exactly. Yeah, because that's that's going to be the reality. I, I, that is the reality. Yeah. It's not even going to be. Yeah, it already is the reality. And it's, yeah. it's, sadly, it's probably going to become even more of a reality as we move forward. Sure. So, so it's going to be interesting to watch that. Well, I did want to talk about your own artistic work. Yeah. Uh, so I guess... Um, my first memory, Christy, is it is ages ago, and you were at some something and selling oh. ceramics. And I said, "Oh, I love you know, I love your work." And you said, "This isn't really my work. I just do this because I teach it. You know, my real work is fibers." Yeah. And of course, you've you've done that, but you also then branched into the artist books yeah. and to making paper as right. well. And that right. those have been sort of parallel tracks. And then I've been fascinated just in recent, you know, just very very recently, I probably. Paul, you've been in Ireland with Don. We'll talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit later. But that you've you've actually made some beautiful prints coming Thank out you. of coming out of things you've seen in, in Ireland. So uh, just talk about talk about your work and how it's evolved over the years. Oh, yeah. that, you know, well, the, the the joy and the problem of teaching many different things is you love them all, and yes. of course you can't do everything all the time. So I do. I absolutely adore teaching ceramics. I mm-hmm. really really love that and. I often think if I just put all this other stuff aside, I, you know, and, and just delve into it, yeah. you know, 
what can I produce? You know, yeah. and it's endless. But it's not in me to do that because <laughs> I, I love everything. So yeah. um, I, actually, though, um, with the printmaking, I've been making prints since I was an undergraduate. Uh, just um, I'm not... I don't call myself a printmaker because I tend to break all the rules and I can't make prints around Don because he goes crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I, it's like what that's you good. said Very about somebody artist, yeah. who's, who's using a program that's really easy. They just break all the rules. Well, I, yeah. I do that in printmaking. Sure. Anyway, um, so I've been making prints all along. Could I, could I say perhaps part of it is because, mm-hmm. because it's not your main thing, then you feel freedom. To I just think you're do right. what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, so I've been trying, not trying, I, I, I work on different things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so Artist Books, though, brings together a lot of different things. It brings together the fibers, because I make my own paper. I often weave parts mm-hmm. of the pages mm-hmm. or sew on them. Um, I even have made a book that had ceramics in it at one point. And have thought about doing other ones of those, and um, and, and so I can put everything together in a book, mm-hmm. and so it's two dimensional and three dimensional all at the same time, and that's one of the reasons I think that it's drawn me to the artist book as a structure to use. Um, but I, you know, I love I teach weaving, I teach printing cloth, I teach all of those things, and every time I teach another process, I'm going. Oh, if I could just spend time doing that one. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, but, but I think I can't be otherwise. I think that's who I am, and I right. just love all these things. Yeah. And so it's a gift and a burden at the same time. The good thing that I found out, maybe you're, I don't know if you're uh-huh. experienced the way I do, but of course my, my attention uh-huh. has been between writing music and playing the piano. Yeah. And I just many times think if I could just quit playing the piano, I could actually... Right. You know, produce some music and and um, I'm constantly torn between those two things but I've also conducted some and um, mm-hmm. and uh, what I have found though is that because I do different things that I don't really I think I'm going to miss certain things when I quit doing them and I find that I don't because there's something else to do and it just I just move on you know and so um, yeah. and I think even administration was like that and uh, right. you know that it was oh here's something else to do right and and it's been interesting to see how other musical opportunities have opened up because I was in this position but at the same time of course I don't do nearly as much musical work as right. I used to before I was an administrator but well, that that was a real challenge for me. Sure. Because the um, administration, um, being the chair, just took so much of both your time and energy, right. but your mental capacity to just do all these things at the same time. Mm-hmm. That just it just wiped you out after a while. Right. Right. Um, right. But you learn. I mean, there were so many good things about it, but at the same time, you, I just couldn't keep all the balls up in the air. Sure. As far as making art and being a good teacher and trying to be a good administrator. That was a lot. But you never you never completely stopped. That's no, the thing. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, sometimes <laughs> things <laughs> yes. uh, dragged out, but I never yes. I never stopped, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just didn't produce in the way I 
could happen yes. now have started to again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. That's good. Well, Don, yeah. with with you, I'm just trying going in my mind trying to remember the different things. You know, I used mm-hmm. to have some uh, prints that were in my office, uh, my old office that uh, that were yours, and I remember your boxes and your boxes reemerged this fall actually in the faculty show. Yeah. That was yes. prob- was that the first time you had made some of those in a while? Nineteen years. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but I remember the first boxes, and then right. of course uh, I think I think actually one of my favorite things you've ever done were the whiskey can crosses. Um, I don't know if they're your favorite things, but uh, I, I like them very much. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, they're um, just a wonderful series of um, that bring together con- one of my things lately. This this confluence of the abstract with the concrete, yeah. and I mean that's a, you know the cross is a very concrete symbol, and mm-hmm. yet there's a real level of abstraction in those prints. I think too, just because of all the different colors and the different uh, textures that you got in the different different prints even right. though they were ostensibly of sort of the same thing coming out of this. Could you say, say a little bit about that, the, the yeah, background I can, of Yeah, I can say something about that. Um, I found I, Christy and I uh, are lucky enough to travel to Ireland sometimes. I'm a fellow of an art colony, uh, the Ballinglen Art Foundation in County Mayo, Ireland, which is in the Republic of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And you've been there in the north. six or seven six, times six, now? Six, six, six residencies, residencies I've yeah. had there, yeah. So each a month long. So it's a really great opportunity to get to know the country of Ireland. And we've traveled around and seen a lot of it, as well as this beautiful, majestic coastland where the foundation is located. So I, we were w- walking by the ocean one night, and or I, I was. There, Christy you was, were. yeah, Christy yeah. was not there. And uh, in you know like uh, as most people do at the ocean you're walking around looking down and seeing what's there so there's you know like seashells and animals and bones and other things and uh so at my feet washes in this outrageously beautiful uh, brass object And so I could see the color of it through the water, and I was immediately attracted to it, and I thought that would make a beautiful base for some sculptures I was making at the time. And uh, actually, as I was carrying it from the ocean up to the studio, which is not too far away, uh, I got the idea that, darn, this thing, which is not flat, if I just flattened this out, I maybe could print this. And what it was was a tin from Irish whiskey. Uh, there is uh, a kind of whiskey that poor people in Ireland drink. It's called Powers Irish Whiskey. It's very, actually, it's very expensive. But mostly the poor people drink that. And so uh, this had been tossed over a fishing vessel and floated around in the sea for seven years. One side of the can. Now, how did you know? Did it have a date on the can? Is yes. That how you knew that? Yes, yeah. it was the centennial edition. Okay. Uh, one side of the can rusted. It had been painted, and the rust was caused by the salt water. And the other side of the tin was brass, and it did not rust, and it was still very shiny. So this, the rusty side, I thought, would print like an etching. It's like a, what's called an aquatint. It holds a tone. And the shiny side uh, printed all the information from the can, which was raised writing. So this, uh, this, so I should say, there's a bottle of whiskey 
but all I used was the tin. Mm -hmm. I never saw the bottle. Yes. So um, I went up to the studio and I printed maybe six or seven prints that night. And I just got so excited. I went out immediately to look for another one. Mm -hmm. And the next night, another one washed in at wow. my feet. And I have been looking for a whiskey tin since that day. I never found one again. I never found another one wow. again. But it's the most remarkable printing surface. So every year, I would slightly edit the shapes with tin snips mm -hmm. and uh, make a new series of prints. I printed landscapes, like the fields when they were harvesting uh, the fields. The color of heather and things in Ireland is mm -hmm. very beautiful. And uh, then I printed these crosses, mm -hmm. uh, which, and I loved the fact that you could make a cross out of something that in many Christian denominations would be a sin. Yes. You know, a, a, certainly, you know, in Protestant denominations. So uh, I printed crosses and all kinds of landscapes and seascapes and things with these two tins I think I did it for four or five years, and I think I made 400 uh, prints, and uh, they were very popular, so yeah. <laughs> that, so was, have, that was a good time. So yeah. you don't have many of them left then? I, I, still, have, I oh. still have a fair number of yeah. them, but they are, they are less select, yes. let's put it that way. Yes. Yes. They were all, every print I made from those was a completely unique object. The goal of printmaking is to repeat things over and over and over again. But what I did was every time I inked it with a different color and rolled it and did various things you do to prints. And uh, I think I still think that was those those two tins were a gift. Yeah. Well, uh, I, so with, the, with the work that I saw and I, I remember the landscapes and I remember the crosses and uh, with the work that I saw, the thing that that uh, that I loved was the the variation within sameness. If I could put mm -hmm. it that way, it was part of what I really liked about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you you they were always different, and they were always the same in a sense. There was something about them that you know, and it just it made it a very powerful series that way. Um, and uh, anyway, it's been a while since we've since I've seen them, but uh, but I did enjoy yeah, that. We have to come by and yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we could sell you one. Yes, yes. Uh, so talk about a little bit about what are you what are you doing these days? And I remember mm -hmm. you were working with some seaweed at one time. Remember you talked with that? Yes, with I printed seaweed arts. in Ireland yeah. one year. That was a bad mistake. Okay, <laughs> you were happy with the results. No, there. some. So, it had possibilities, but I would have had to have worked on that for a lot longer. Yeah. I went out, and there, there's a special kind of seaweed in Ireland that has these little pods that are filled with oxygen, and it makes the seaweed float on the top of the water. Mm -hmm. And uh, the seaweed printed fine. I, I brought it up into my studio, and I dried it out on newspaper, mm -hmm. and then I used it with monotype and with... Uh, relief rolling so I rolled it with big rollers and uh, some of that was either amazing or terrible because these pods also held hold this slime mm -hmm. and when you run it through a printmaking press even if it's dry seems dry on the outside it's wet on the inside and uh, so at 10,000 pounds per square inch it yes. squished all the 
<laughs> the stuff. So that that was probably a dumb idea, but um, you know you have to try it. That's right. <laughs> You're encouraged at this foundation to uh, just land in Ireland and try to make prints about your experience with the stuff you find, and uh, I am very taken with that idea yeah, I think that's yeah. really really great it takes well, you I mean, out of the realm of what you always do and you have to work with something different and it led to the very successful whiskey can prints and it led to experiments with seaweed that apparently didn't seaweed, work out which I so did well. yeah I made many sculptures <laughs> I painted there quite a lot and I put sand from the beach and uh this uh, material that they burn in Ireland, it's peat, it's natural mm -hmm. peat. Mm -hmm. And I uh, put that in the paint and uh, in acrylic mm -hmm. and uh, painted these uh, skyscapes of stars. It's mm -hmm. hard, kind of hard to describe, but there's no light pollution. You, when you look up at night and it stays light until yeah. almost midnight, yes. You look up when it gets dark, and you can see every star. So I was just blown away, and I had a real spiritual experience there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In Ireland, they call this part of the coast uh, a thin place because it's very close yes. to heaven. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you're on the earth, but you're not far from some other realm. The spiritual realm And is to close. me, that, yeah. that really attracts me as an idea in art. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I know this is the first time I was in the UK. You know, we were jet lagged, of course, and went to went to bed at like five o'clock. And we woke up and thought is I thought it was the next day. It was actually eleven o'clock that night. Yeah. And I was I thought it was the the you know pre dawn <laughs> yeah pre dawn light, but it was actually dusk. Yeah. Uh, because it, uh, in at that time it was in June, of course. It was uh, so it, the days were very long. Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, I had never experienced that before, so um, it's very, very different from from where we live here in the in the United States. Yeah. Uh, so what 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 are you working on these days, both of you? Um, oh. Well, I have I um, I made an artist book. Uh, I made prints this summer in Ireland for mm -hmm. this artist book, which I did an, a um, a rendition of for the faculty show that was in the fall, and. And I wasn't quite happy with it then, and I just wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. So I, I have an idea to tweak that one. I also have another one that has been sitting on my table and is currently sitting on my table going, I could do these six things with it, but I don't know which one to do. So I'm working on that. I have a warp on my loom that I've been weaving, and right now I've been putting a lot of energy into ceramics. Oh. How about that? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always an outlet. Yes, yeah, yeah. And Don? And in the last several years, I've been really interested in uh, a kind of movement in printmaking that uses non-toxic inks yes. and uh, low technology. Mm -hmm. um, like all of our students, uh, from the time they're first-year student, they start learning Adobe software, and they, they can think in Adobe which is a way of thinking. Yes. And Adobe is built on layers, and printmaking is built on layers. You print something, you print something on top of it, you print something on top sure. of it. It builds up to be the composite thing. So I've been working with uh, all types of printmaking and mixing them together. So woodcut and screen printing and uh, etching 
and various other processes that I do with power tools. Uh, so it avoids the acid of etching. I use grinders and routers and uh, woodshop tools. They're not really fine art tools, right. but you can do amazing things with them. So I've, I've been exploring that, and while printing them, I've, I've made a couple hundred sheets of large paper uh, that I don't like. And so I'm going to be editing those by making them into collages. And I have made collages is an area that I've done quite a lot of work in. And so I'm trying to make some big ones. Mm -hmm. My previous ones have been uh, medium size. And then as time goes on, the paper scraps get to be smaller. And so they get to be smaller. I Probably my most famous ones were tiny, about the size of an index card. Right. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to shift gears. I have all this material. Art materials are very expensive, and you can't you can't go. Oh, that costs five hundred dollars. You have to go. That stuff. I will use that stuff until it's gone. Then I'll get some more stuff. Mm -hmm. Don't mm -hmm. think about it like money. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of stuff <laughs> that was expensive. <laughs> so I'm trying to reuse it. What the would your box? We mentioned the. I mentioned the boxes, and, and you made two of them. I mean, would you consider those sort of three-dimensional collages? Is that that's I mean, they're exactly the same as printmaking. Uh, these box constructions I make are like five or six inches deep, mm -hmm. and la layers of things happen in space from yes. the back to the front. Okay, and I uh, try to make it look as three-dimensional as possible within only six inches. Mm -hmm. And the same is true in printmaking. You know, you don't have six inches. You, you have a flat surface, so yeah. you have to make it all happen. So the boxes interest me because it's the same way of thinking about the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I actually started making the boxes because I was making prints, and I learned that you could lay dowel rods on the prints, and, and all kinds of, you could layer all kinds of stuff right on the print to think, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, then I started making the boxes. And uh, the I boxes was, have always had dowel rods. I remember, I remember yes, that. Yes, yes. <laughs> balsa wood and dowel rods and things like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this, these last boxes I made uh, for most of the end, at least to the end of the summer, it's a diptych. It's two-part work. Right. And um, I'm very pleased with that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to mm -hmm. enter that in a I've show them, in the next yeah. week or so. Yeah. Well, it's been great to talk with both of you, and, and thank you so much for taking the time to, to, to speak and, and kind of reminisce about the history of art here at Messiah, and, uh, and also, you know, we're, we're still alive and kicking, so, um, <laughs> so and yeah. still making things, and so that's, that's very good. It's wonderful to hear about what you're doing right now as well, so thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Great of you to ask us. Yes, yeah. indeed. Thank you. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office.